Welcome to Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development. Here is your host, David Ponraj, founder and CEO of Economic Impact Catalyst. All right, Sharon, welcome to Breaking Down Barriers. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about your work with the Mississippi SPDC. Well, I joined the SBDC here in Mississippi in 2018. I moved from a different state that their entrepreneurship ecosystem was much more advanced than this area. And when I came in, um, I saw much work needed to be done. We were an organization that were tasked to, just like any other SBDC across the United States, to work with businesses providing technical assistance, education, and one-on-one counseling, confidential counseling, and we were making our goals, and I had an outsider come in and review our um, organization, and they say, you have a great organization, it's just a little crystallized, and what he meant was, you're doing just enough, and when I, I also, when I came into Mississippi, I asked an outsider to come in and do an assessment of the ecosystem and how we were viewed to see what our needs would be as I moved forward. And everybody liked us, but they just thought we did two things. And one was help people get into business and help them get funded. And as you know, in entrepreneurship work, there's so much more work to be done. And I saw an opportunity to take our organization to really meet the needs that were out there. And so we started that work in fall of 18, most of 19, and as we all know, that what happened in 20. And so we used CARES Act to really hone our internal skills to meet the needs that we, that were truly the needs of the Mississippi small businesses. So... And then that's where we're at today. And we are seeing maybe 300, between two and 300 more percent clients than we did in 19. Okay. Tell me a little bit about your own journey and why this work that is very hard and sometimes seems unrewarding, why you are still motivated to do this work every day. All my career, I've always made businesses money. And business is fun for me. Um, but it was always to help people do better. My advanced degree is in change management and leadership development, which I love. And um, I've always been, I've always worked with organizations to, on a contractual basis, to make them more money. And I did that very successfully, looking at their internal processes. And I have a way of seeing things at a 50,000 foot level that if these changes are made, this is what you can do. And you come to Mississippi and the need was so great. You're in, we came to a state or I came to a state that we were number one at the bad things and then the last one in all the good things. And so there was a lot of opportunity. Mississippi is also the number one in diverse population with, we have a minority population, the highest minority population of African Americans, Blacks. And the disparity there is not the same as it would be in any other part of the country. And that was unique for me to see and, and to 
I don't want to say witness, but um, as a white outsider woman coming in, how do I get into and how do I help? And um, so our, my, my top priorities were how do we provide the services across the state, not just because our grant says so, but because the needs say so in every part of the, the state, not just in pockets where we're at, but truly make sure we're meeting the needs where those clients are at and where those businesses are at. Something that's very unique about you, and I mentioned this compared to other SBDC state directors, is that you've gone way above and beyond your your traditional role in providing technical assistance or in helping business starts to really help convene the ecosystem, working with partners like the Mississippi Development Authority or working with other entities across the state. Why have you seen your role to be so much bigger and, like you said, uh, actually go and do the harder work than just helping businesses start? Well, we have the opportunity to do that bigger, better work because SBA has given us a grant and we are mandated to do two, three things and to do confidential, no-cost consulting, education, and technical assistance. And when you look at all the other resources, they have to do parts of that as well. And unfortunately, SBDCs are tasked to do with this huge array of work, but the depth and breadth of it is not deep. And then there's other programs out there that they have to go deeper into certain things. So I saw I see the SBDC as that connector because we have so many clients coming to us that one of the things that we did when I first came on board was redo our mission and our vision plan to make sure that we include that we are the gateway to resources, not necessarily we are the best SBDC out there, the best resource out there. We're going to be the gateway for the right, at that right time. And um, so that is, and I've, I've used that measure on everything we do. And so when we talk about SBDC work, we all, I also have another mantra. We collaborate. We do not duplicate. If there's another organization out there, let's partner with them. Let's collaborate with them. Because at the end of the day, people aren't going to remember and say, you have to go to the SBDC because they're the, they're the best. They're going to say, Sharon Nichols helped me, or I got help at this office, at the chamber, or whatever. They're not going to remember that it's SBDC. They may even call us SBA, who knows. But they just remember getting help and getting assistance, or not. And um, I've, as long as we keep, and I've really reiterated with our staff, is um, if it's client focused, if what we're doing keeps the client in the center of it, I will do it. If it's not in it, it doesn't align with those three things that SBA requires us to do, that's out of our scope. But that scope is pretty wide. Yeah. So, and um, one of the barriers that I had to overcome is just like every other state, there's silos. And people yeah. are so used to working in silos. And then you bring someone coming in and saying, I don't respect your silo. Yeah. Let's just work with our clients. That has taken a bit. But I think that um, I think that the stakeholders across the state are realizing that 
This isn't about us. It's about helping the small businesses. And I think we've really moved that needle. Mississippi, like you said, has a lot of unique challenges. Uh, also, it's the state with one of the most uh, diverse populations. Talk to us about how you've been able to see uh, and help businesses that are starting in Mississippi. And is, is this a great place to start a business? So when I, as leadership, you don't work directly. So I get anecdotally through my yeah. staff. And one of the challenges is I can't, and I can't hire a white man to go into the Delta when the population is 80% African-American and they'd be successful. And for um, one of our biggest success stories is we've partnered with an organization that's not a university, but it's a, an organization that's already doing this good work. And we've been able to expand his footprint and his reach and the way he serves. And we have a Delta SVDC now, and it's because he's trusted in that area. He's of that demographic. He's proven himself. And then we come alongside him and bring the resources to them. And um, one of the things that we do as an organization is we have what we call a business resource conference. And what we do is we go into community and bring in other resources and we talk about what is available for these people and the small businesses because they have no idea. And you know that people have no idea what those resources are. And the first time we did it with this organization was out in Greenville, Mississippi. It was at a community center. And when I walked in, there was over a hundred people there. I was only, I was the only white person there. And the need was so great. I asked them a question if how many of you guys have your own business or have a side hustle or whatever. And 99% of the people raised their hand because people want to do business. And when you visit with them, they, um, max out their credit cards and they, yeah, I'm, I'm selling all of this, but they have no idea how much money they're making and what, and, or what it will do to, what do they need to do to take it to the next level? And for us to connect them to local resources so that they can actually move a side hustle to a business is phenomenal. It's really rewarding. And knowing as the director that I can connect locally to those resources and enhance what they have and empower what they have to affect change is so fulfilling. Yeah, and that's a powerful reminder uh, that you need people that, that can go into those communities and relate to them and be able to work with them. Uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, some of the programs that you are implementing right now. I know SSBCI is on top of mind for everyone. Uh, tell us about what like the next three to six months looks like in terms of programs that might not be the traditional mm -hmm. work that SBDC is doing. So let's start out with the SSBCI. Um, the SBDC program has been designated by the state to provide technical assistance. This is the first. Treasury has done SSBCI, which is state small business, small business yeah. credit initiative, capital initiative. I think that's all these acronyms. Um, <laughs> yeah. And this is the, they've had a 1.0 where they gave the state, I think between 13 and $15 million to do capital for um, SETI businesses or very small businesses to, and they were loan guarantee programs. 
And this 2.0 SSBCI, it significant amount more funds. Yeah. However, they also allocated additional funds for technical assistance because they did see the importance of, especially during COVID, where people don't know how to do their financial statements. They don't have documentation to go get those disaster loans. They just saw these, these needs really, there was a light shown on all the needs. And so we are really looking forward to helping and going alongside whether the people that are are getting seed funding or CDFI loans or whatever those are, those mechanisms to provide that strong TA and show to Treasury that if you give them TA and you really walk alongside these businesses, that they can add jobs and they can retain jobs, they can grow their sales, which impacts the city, the community that they live in, as well as in the state. So it's a win-win and we have the mechanism to actually um, track it and show treasury in the United States and the city states what we've done and how we can impact so we're excited about that opportunity the other thing is, is we um, received some a grant fund to do a center for growth and um, nothing new under the sun there however we saw as we do studies of small business needs and looking at resources across the state, there are not a lot of resources for people in business. Whether, and I'm not talking about a minority population, I'm talking general, I'm in a biz, I'm in a small business, how do I grow? So we're building a center for growth and um, it's, it's addressing cyber because that's a big deal. Um, we're addressing international trade or global sales we're also uh, working on the marketing piece. And what that means is who is your market? If you don't know who your market is or how you can expand your market, how are you going to grow? The other piece is the financial piece. is really understanding and working with businesses so that they have the capacity to grow and understand their finances so that they can manage growth. Generally, a business will go under if they expand too quickly and they don't know how to manage their funds and their people and their assets. And it's like flying an airplane. If one thing goes down, it, it's difficult. And we're going to be there to help them build that plane so that they can grow. And we're really excited about that opportunity. We're also looking at a digital transformation. Um, one of the things that Mississippi is far behind other parts of the states is access to broadband mm -hmm. and access to technology. And so we're wanting to help transform the businesses engaging in technology so that they can move their business forward, whether it's online sales, whatever that is, or it's just learning how to even QuickBooks or online invoicing or whatever that is, you know, how to not automate, but how to use technology to enhance your business so you can work on your business instead of the, being transactional. So we're pretty excited about that. We see that, I don't want to say is the next big thing, but it's really taking our businesses and walking alongside them and not just giving, here's my here's your broadband or here's your fiber. Here's how can you intentionally build your business bigger, better, stronger where you're at. Talk to me a little bit about the the makeup of the state. That Ooh. Right? So the, the state uh, has... Uh, a significant delta region. Mm -hmm. It has a coastline. It um, also has uh, universities like Old Miss, right? So it has a lot of assets, mm -hmm. and yet there are significant challenges 
for Mississippi to compete at the national or the global level, right? So what do you think are some things that fundamentally need to change that you're working on? And I know it's a big question, <laughs> uh, but I'm sure you think about this as you drive across the state and you're looking at the people starting businesses and you look at the natural resources or you look at uh, the challenges, like you know, with the recent tornado devastation, uh, what is it? What is it going to take for Mississippi to really kind of catch up? So one of the things that we CARES Act and COVID nineteen has really helped is the resources working together. Mm-hmm. I think that we're aligning and we're really seeing that we can affect change by working together. We're stronger to be together. Yeah, and. Um, we're building a what we call Connect MS is really so that the um, businesses that can find the resources for the right things in the right time, and just a connector, and um, also is I see opportunity. I always try to look at opportunity. The challenges: how do you convert those to opportunities? Um, you know, I did say that I'm a white woman going into the Delta. I've met some really strong advocates for black entrepreneurs in the Delta that working alongside them prior to COVID, they wouldn't take my call and now they do. And now they want to know how we can partner, not necessarily because of Sharon Nichols, but the power of the federal resources. And it's not funding because starting up is not necessarily funding. It's because there's a lot of philanthropic dollars out there. It's how can I get into business, whether I bootstrap or whatever. It's really that fundamental groundwork and connecting those resources. Um, one of the state things the state has done well is a couple of years ago, the governor put an emphasis on workforce development and created Accelerate Mississippi. And they did a study of, and it was really census data about education and that type of thing. And they divided the state up into eight areas and it was a lot around workforce development centers and different things but when i looked at their data two out of the two areas out of the eight i think it was just two but two out of the areas had more jobs than people because generally you have more people than jobs or is it the vice versa yeah usually yeah so it's vice versa there's two areas that had less jobs and more people yeah and only two and everything else, but we need to ensure, so these people don't want to leave there. They like living there. There's no business there. So how can we empower them to maybe be an entrepreneur, do an online work? What is that? And, you know, that's the flip is, if there's more people than jobs, they don't want to leave. How We don't want them to leave. We're one of two or three states that our population has decreased in the last census. We don't want to lose anymore. So what can we do as entrepreneurship support organizations? How can we help them stay in place and be effective? It could be remote work. It could be that. But it also could be an online business or something. You know, what is that need? That's fascinating. When you look at just resources uh, across Mississippi, I was at a conference at who I was invited to uh, at Oxford last year, where the general consensus was that we are stronger together and we 
are all doing great work, but we don't know that we're all doing great work. Mm -hmm. And the, everybody who attended, I think it was funded by the Skoll Foundation, everybody that attended really left saying, if we come together, this mm -hmm. can be so much more powerful. Uh, and that power of convening, mm -hmm. coming together to be greater than the sum of our parts, mm -hmm. right? Uh, talk to me uh, a little bit about, as we look at SSBCI, which is this mm -hmm. ability to get credit to diverse entrepreneurs, as we look at the American Rescue Plan Act and look at all of these other um, uh, sources of funding that we have, how do we create a more vibrant uh, small business ecosystem across uh, Mississippi? And I know you're doing a lot of work, the ConnectMS platform that we'll put in the show notes. That's, you know, one. But what does it take to kind of build, and I know you've been uh, at this for some time now, how do you build like a thriving ecosystem? Uh, you know, you talked about bringing people together. What else can we do? So one of the things that has been successful in other areas, and you always borrow steel. Steel with pride, yes. Yeah. And um, one of the things, you know, you don't want to keep doing things that you've always done because you're going to get the same results. And one of the things, or one area that has changed, especially coming out of COVID, but in other parts of the country was already there, is this cohort-based learning yeah. or this networking with peer-to-peers and that type of thing. And Mississippi is ripe and ready for that. And um, I see that as a strong opportunity because, one, I think that they have more trust in the resources because we're collaborating better. And other resources have more trust in other resources because we're collaborating together. And then when we convene and give them opportunity to cohort-based learn together, I think that's a good thriving environment. And once we start building that up, um, we can do more. Like with the SSBCI, this is just another funding opportunity. And traditionally, everybody looks at traditional lending. And now we're looking at alternative ways. And I think that this is good seed money because it gives us the ability, okay, so we can't do it this way. And we always tell our entrepreneurs, if one maker tells you no, what are you going to do? If that entrepreneur says, well, I guess it's not a good idea, well, then they probably wouldn't have done well anyway. But if they keep saying, well, I need to find it, I need to find someone else, I need to find someone else, that's the same way with alternative lending or alternative credit. Keep knocking on those doors. Because if it's a good sound idea, at some point you're going to get buy-in. And you're going to have someone who walks you or coaches you through a door or connects you to that right person. And whether that's online or in person. Yeah. So I think that Mississippi is ripe for that because it is a it is a state full of small communities. I mean, it's amazing. It's a lovely it's a lovely state. Talking about these small communities, you had mentioned this the virtual hubs. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about this idea? I think I, I love this idea and I'm thinking other states could actually benefit from especially when you have an expansive state with like these mm -hmm. small communities mm -hmm. but you still want to stay connected and you still want to bring the resources mm -hmm. that might not be in that region to the region can you mm -hmm. give us an idea of like how you came up with this idea and how you got it funded and what it does so during CARES Act when everybody was at home how do we meet the demands of the people in these small communities Broadband is not still across all of 82 counties in Mississippi. So we wrote a di USDA distance learning grant because we felt if we could get a, a working space 
where people can, could come in and connect with us or other resources so that they can get entrepreneurship help, that would level the playing field. That would just, is I call it a Zoom room or we call it VACs, whatever we want to call them. It's in a co-working space, you see it as a booth where people can go in and have a private meeting. That's what it is. But it's a very secure place. It's very protected. So they can't do anything else and do any cyber hacking. They're all in our community college footprint. So it's strong Wi-Fi and it's very secure and it helps them connect. And we have a booking system where resources, the clients can't do it. The businesses can't book. But if they want to meet with a resource, the resource books the time. And we manage those calendars in a system. And what this is doing is creating a virtual network where resources connect with anybody anywhere in the state. And as we limit our travel, because everybody's budget is getting crunched, and that is one area that we could cut down on, and it's travel. And if it's easier to zoom in and meet with a client for an hour and a half and get the same results, because, and data shows this, that during COVID, 100% of our time was being spent online. Prior to COVID, it was like 20% online. After COVID, it's still 80 to 90% online because clients have accepted that and they like that because they see that they can actually get work done. And this is just another avenue of connection. And it's also another avenue of connection in two ways, the clients and the resources. Building that strong ecosystem of resources where they're working together for the end result of building those small businesses. Yeah, that is so fascinating. And uh, and I that's one of the reasons why I think the SBDC in Mississippi is really forward thinking compared to, uh, you know, and I'm not trying to compare, mm -hmm. but just looking at best practices around the country. And I think, you know, it's programs like this uh, that are um, that are game changers. I know that you're also investing in in bringing somebody that can be like that super connector that can mm -hmm. go across the state and actually help connect the dots for small businesses. Because at, at the end of the day, small businesses, what they don't know is what's going to hurt them, mm -hmm. right? Like if they don't know there is an asset uh, that's mm -hmm. out there that can help them speed up their business, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to lose out. Tell me a little bit more about like your vision around that and how it can transform uh, connectivity and build that trust mm -hmm. uh, with, with especially uh, diverse communities. Well, it's easy to say we're going to build this platform and we're going to connect all the resources to everybody and just come and look and see where it is. But if they have someone to come alongside and say, this is how it works and this is how it benefits you, there's going to be a much quicker adaptation. And anything that gets adapted, it's, you know, it takes a bit, it takes a little bit of user, it takes to show what is it in it for me, and then it's word of mouth and it's that organic building. And um, we find that that's we feel like that's going to be the better way to go instead of just waiting for them to show up and yeah. just doing the traditional marketing and pushing out yeah well, i'll be excited to see the the impact of that program yeah. because i think that also builds trust when you see somebody uh, in person so i've got two more questions for you and these are going to be a little bit more personal uh the the first one is uh as a woman in the workplace and as a leader who's a woman in the workplace uh Talk to me about like how you've been able to break down your own barriers. Uh, and I'm asking this because I've seen in my own family, mm -hmm. my mother being a, a role model and breaking down barriers in her workplace. I see it in my wife. And I know it's hard. 
like what men we take for granted a lot of the times you know women have to show up and you have to kind of break those barriers and those glass ceilings mm -hmm. for uh, practitioners and a lot of the women who are starting out in this field talk to us about like how did you come up the ranks and what did you do that was that got you here so it's more of a yeah. mindset yeah. and it's just life lessons that you've yeah. learned um early on i was i I went to college and after my freshman year, my dad goes, I'm not sending you back until you decide what you want to do. I was a nursing major and I hated it. <laughs> and so what did I do out of spite? I joined the Air Force Reserves. <laughs> my dad was in the Air Force and I, that's what I did. But the leadership that I was taught in the military and the different things and the way they viewed women back then um, and the way that we were treated and you know, when people would pat you on the head or they hung you was totally not accepted today, but that was the way it was. And I had decided that I, I didn't say, I didn't take a bad attitude. I took an attitude of like, you want to bet. And I, ne I always did it with a smile on my face. And I never thought of what I couldn't do. If I focus, if you focus on what you can't do, you won't accomplish much. But if you focus on what you can do and what you can change and what you can do to move forward, that's always been my mantra. And one of the things that I've, I've done continuously over my career is every year I try to learn something new. And years ago I heard this thing that if you spend 15 minutes a day reading, researching, learning, in a couple of years you'll be an expert. Which is true if you decide to take the time and it's not a lot of time commitment. But it really helps you move your your social capital and your work capital up the line. And I made those investments probably in my 30s and 40s. I'm gonna, that's going to age me. But it's it was very beneficial. I still have people in my sphere that are like, why are you so happy? Or why? Because I don't focus on what I can't do. I focus on what I can do and what I can do for other people. And, and I really try not to take the attitude of it's about me. I feel very uncomfortable talking about me. Um, I've always tried to include, especially young women, don't focus on what you can't do because then you won't do anything because that's all you see is what the things that you don't feel like you can accomplish. But you really focus on what you know you can do and always try to improve. And um, I have three daughters and I've tried to instill that in them. They may not have taken the same path as me, and everybody makes mistakes, even I, everybody does. However, you always continue to improve and always ask for help, ask for questions and ask for input. Um, I can't say I'm done yet. I love what we do. I love helping people out. I feel like you're just getting started in the work. <laughs> Every time I talk to you, um, I feel like you've got new programs um, you're getting started on. And so I have really, really taken the approach of how do I pour myself into the stuff that's coming up behind me? Because they're my succession plan. They're, where do we want to take this organization? How do we want to continue the strong work helping the small businesses across Mississippi be more effective, make more money, make Mississippi a better place to live and thrive? And not just survive and thrive. It's live and thrive and, and really enjoy our community. Mississippi is one of the most beautiful states I've been in. And um, we've, my husband and I have thoroughly enjoyed it. And it has a lot to offer. Yeah, I'll, I'll finish with this. Is I recognize the barrier is I'm a white woman and a predominantly, especially on the Delta, blacks and males. So I have two things. 
And the gentleman I, that I partnered with, it was very strategic. I didn't go with just anybody. I had he, he aligned with my vision. Our vision is an organization. He has strong ethics. And his, he had a passion to help other people. And so I have no problem with that. Yeah. Last question. So focusing a little bit more narrowly around entrepreneurship and ecosystem building and economic development for a practitioner, uh, man or woman or uh, male or female coming up the ranks here, how do you, uh, what would you, what would your advice be to them uh, in terms of you know, how do you navigate your career? What are some things that if you had to go back and redo, you would do differently um, especially around economic development. This is a very unique yeah. industry that you don't go to school to be in economic development. Everything matters. Um, don't think it's all about bringing in business. It's place matters. Um, whether you have sidewalks matter. And you have to look at the little things and what makes communities thrive. Um, and always looking at what are opportunities to expand your area. Um, that sounds really vague, but... Um, what has been very successful across the United States, and I feel like this is um, strong, especially in a state that has a lot, we're made up of small communities, is identify what it, who, who are you and what do you want to be? Who you are and what do you want to be? And own it. And don't try to make something that is not a good fit for you or comfortable. But see, you know, really do a SWOT analysis, figure out, what are your strengths and weaknesses? What are some opportunities and threats? Some things are unavoidable. You can't, you know, if you're landlocked, you're not going to build something. You're not going to build an airport. You know, what are those things? But be very realistic in it and change what you can and find people that can help you change the things you can't. Because always be thinking bigger than what you are, but be realistic. Um, look at data. Data is really key. If you don't know how to understand data, take some courses because data really tells a story and try to find if you're in economic development or you want to be you find other communities across the United States that has the same kind of makeup as you do there's 50 states there's going to be one community just like you or pretty similar and see what they have done what are some best practices because you always learn from other people what are things do people doing well um, and what and then also look at the things that have gone wrong and try to figure out why it went wrong so you don't repeat those. And it doesn't have to be just in your community. If something really, really failed, find out why. And then, you know, and then you can help. So anyway, but just always be looking. And I always revert to data because data really tells a story. Yeah. And um, find leaders who you aspire to and study how they've done it and what the successes they've done and also how they practice and how they interact with people. So it is a, it is a human piece. Yeah. Well, that was fascinating. Thank you. Uh, I enjoyed it and I know our practitioners are going to enjoy it. Like I said, like this is our first story out of Mississippi and we're so excited to bring this. So thank you for your time and thanks for telling us uh, your story and sharing your insights. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I never feel like I have anything to say. So. Well, that was great content. Well, thank, so thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development. Special thanks to our renowned guests for joining us. You can find show notes, more episodes, send us ideas, 
and subscribe to our newsletter on our website, economicimpactcatalyst.com. Breaking Down Barriers is a presentation of Economic Impact Catalyst and is edited by Lauren Bernard. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Breaking Down Barriers, available for free wherever you listen to your podcasts.